0: Promo Kitchen is a nonprofit organization committed to the advancement of the promotional products industry through education and mentorship. If you want to get more involved, visit us on the web at promokitchen.org. This episode of the Promo Kitchen podcast has been generously supported by PPAI. PPAI is the world's largest and oldest not for profit association serving the $20 billion promotional products industry. They advocate for the industry's more than 34,000 businesses and its nearly half a million professionals. PPAI is the host of the PPAI Expo, the industry's largest trade show, and is the industry's go-to source on product safety and compliance and professional development and certification programs. For more information, visit them at ppai.org. If you're a new listener, the PK Podcast is a community-inspired conversation featuring guest suppliers, distributors, and service providers discussing insights into the $20 billion promotional products industry. My name is Mark Graham, co-founder of Skew, and I'm joined by my good friend and fellow chef, Dale Denham, CIO of Geiger. In today's episode, we are going to take a deep dive into what it takes to deliver ultimate customer experiences. In today's competitive landscape, customer experience is often the key differentiator that separates one company from the next. We especially know this to be true in the promotional products industry, where commoditization and price shopping run rampant. The winners in this industry have long recognized that it's the intangibles beyond price and product that create enduring and successful companies. So what does it mean to create the ultimate customer experience? Well, our guest today is the man who coined this very term, Scott McCain. Scott is the founder of the Distinction Institute, a company that explores the role of ultimate customer experiences in creating enhanced client retention and revenue. He is the author of three Amazon.com number one business bestsellers, all focused on teaching companies how to expand profits, increase sales, and engage customers. Scott's latest book, Seven Tenants of Taxi Terry, provides the specific steps for every employee to create and deliver ultimate customer experiences. He has presented in all 50 states and 17 countries, from Singapore to Sweden, from Mexico to Morocco, from the White House with the President in attendance, mind you, to conferences in Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Scott is a rock star when it comes to creating ultimate customer experiences, and we are extremely honored to have him with us today. Scott, welcome to the show, my friend.
1: <laughs> wow. Mark, I, I can hardly wait to hear what I have to say. <laughs> Something like that. I-, I wish I had better content.
0: You better uh, blow I'm us serious. away, Scott. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, the bar is high. But it's-, it's great to be here with you and Dale. I, I-, I truly appreciate you extending the invitation. And- yeah,
0: anyway. absolutely. Well, why don't we start it off with an easy one. I know you came up with the term ultimate customer experience. Do you want to define that, Scott, and why it's so important in 2015 to care about
1: this? You know, it's funny how it came about, Mark. I was um, for a long time giving a speech called All Business is Show Business. and I started talking about part of of why all business is show business. It's really not what most people think because they tend to think of, you know, song and dance and, and all that. But Schindler's List was show business. You know, Silence of the Lambs was show business. And so a show business succeeds when it creates this powerful, emotional connection with the audience. Mm. When, when you sit in your seat in the theater or you sit on your couch at home and you, you feel something for that character, then it's created the experience. And so that generated the thought, well, what would the businesses I was working with and dealing with the two questions, how do we get more customers, how do we keep the customers that we have? Mm. And so that kind of spawned the thought about it would take an experience. So why not take it all the way? Why not take it to the ultimate? So what would the ultimate customer experience be? Mm. The challenge, Bill. This was back in the '80s. I was, I was talking about that, and everybody then was focused on service, and it really seemed to me like that was not enough. Service, again, using the show business analogy, is that you know the movie started on time, mm. and you got your popcorn quickly. You know, and, but that wasn't enough to drive not only acquisition but retention Mm. and that's really where that came from is thinking about what would the ultimate be if everything went exactly right what would that look like what would that feel like and and so it led to some really really interesting discoveries that kind of led me down a path that what it really takes is to be distinctive Mm. it takes the ability to not only go out and pursue customers successfully converting prospects into customers but it's also being so distinctive at what you do that you attract people to do business with you. Mm. And that's what the ultimate customer experience delivers, is not only does it help you retain the, the current customer base that you have, but it also makes you so distinctive in the marketplace that you attract people to do business with that you, you never imagined you would, you would achieve before.
0: You talk a lot about this idea of setting high expectations and then exceeding them and We'll get into the specific stories about your friend Terry, the taxi driver, in just a second, but what was interesting when I've read that in your work, feels to me that the common belief in a lot of organizations today is set realistic expectations with your customers and then exceed them. Is that necessarily a bad thing that most people are doing today, or do they need to raise the bar even higher? The second kind of follow-up question to this is, is that setting companies up for failure if they're setting really high expectations and then expected to exceed them even more?
1: Well, it depends on how you look at the customer. Mm-hmm. And what I found through my research is that you know, organizations that are distinctive look at relationships more than transactions. And so if all I'm looking for is a transaction, then mere satisfaction is going to fit the mold, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to fit what I'm looking for. But if I'm really looking for a relationship with a customer, if I'm really looking for a long term repetitive situation where yeah. this customer continues to come back to me, then mere satisfaction is a miserably low standard, yeah, you know when you're saying that I'm relating that I think a lot in business can relate to you know it's easier to understand when we put it in terms of of our personal lives mm. so if if I'm getting ready to propose and I'm down on one knee and I got the little box with the jewelry in it, and I look up at this woman, I'm wanting to say yes, and I start by saying, "What do you think of our relationship?" She goes well, you know, I guess I'm satisfied. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yes. That's not somebody willing to make a commitment, you know. Yes. You want her to throw her arms open and say, oh, you're great, I love it, you know. And, and so if all you're looking for is just a, a you know, a, a transaction, then I guess satisfaction's good enough. But if we're really looking to have a customer come back again and again and again, that, to me that's where profitability lies, is not yeah. in the momentary transaction yeah. but in the extended relationship then you've got to create something more than just mere satisfaction. Yeah. Your
0: book, The Seven Tenants of Taxi Terry, is a really great read. We'll put this in the show notes for people. But for those people that have not had the opportunity to read the book, Scott, can you briefly tell people about your experience with this very special taxi driver and what it is that made him so memorable and how that applies to big and small companies?
1: Sure, and and by the way, the whole story is on on YouTube. Just uh, go there and look for Taxi Terry, and, and the whole story's there. But yeah, you know, it's it's the middle of the night, the flight's late. I'm I'm waiting for a cab in Jacksonville, Florida. I got a you know already counting how few hours of sleep I'm going to get, watching everybody else get in their cabs, and then this cab pulls up. I finally worked my way to the front of the line, and the driver jumps out of the cab, points at me in the front of the line, and shouts, "Are you ready for the best cab ride of your life?" And I'm thinking. Oh, man, why did I get stuck with a motivational cab driver? <laughs> you know mm. I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. You know, and So the guy jogs over and he gets my bag and he jumps in the cab and he turns around to me in the back and he sticks out his hand and he says, Mr. McCain? And mm. I'm like, yeah, how'd you know my name? He said, saw it on your luggage, figured I might as well use it. <laughs> mm. Mm. I'm Taxi Terry. And so we take off. There's just so many things about the ride that were absolutely incredible he had a a smartphone in a very elaborate bracket on the dash set to weather.com for Jacksonville, so I had the up to the instant weather forecast. We talked about, you know, what the weather would be to help me plan my day. Frankly, I didn't quite understand that at the beginning, and then, as I've gotten to know Terry, if you think about people in his cab that he's picking up at the airport, a lot of them are in the area to golf, because there's so many great golf courses in the area, that weather is even more critical to them than someone that just, you know, happens to be there on a business trip, so he's, thinking about all these ways that he can serve his customer. He talked about some of the incredible marketing things that he's done. He was set up to record conversations in the cab mm. so that uh, he, he told the story of one passenger who mentioned that his daughter had just started at Vanderbilt University. So he he hits the record button every night he takes these bits of information that he gets and he's got a CRM program and he enters this information into his you know CRM software so that the next time that individual makes a reservation, all that information from the previous conversation is popped up you know, on the screen to remind Terry to ask about the daughter that's going to Vanderbilt. Mm. Personalization of the conversation with the customers in the cab, uh, just on and on and on, so many incredible things. One thing that I don't mention in the YouTube story, it happened later, but I, I learned is uh, when you go to Terry's website, which is just TaxiTerry.com, He even recorded a a YouTube video where he's walking through the Jacksonville airport. So if you've never been to Jacksonville before, it shows you exactly where you need to go. Here's where you go to get your bag. Here's where I'll be waiting. He takes the customer through this little tour on YouTube, and that's part of what gets me for smaller businesses. His wife shot it with an iPhone. Mm -hmm. They edited it on their laptop, you know. I mean, it's not a big budget production. It's that mindset of thinking, wow, if I've never been to Jacksonville before, how will I know where to meet the cab? How will yeah. I know where? And he just walks it through the airport. So the incredible thing was one of the funny things that happened, too, is so he gets me to the hotel, and he gets my bag out, and he holds it like it was Ken, and he, he hands it to the bellman and announces presenting Mr. McCain.
2: Hmm.
1: Hmm. Like I'd, I'd never been presented before. You know, hmm. that, was, that was amazing. And one of the amazing things that I, I learned was that there were so many aspects about how I need to be treating my clients and customers and how every business, particularly small businesses, can be creating this ultimate customer experience on a way that doesn't break the bank, you know, in a manner that customers will not only appreciate but will advocate in the marketplace. Mm. And so that's that's where the book came from. The folks at McGraw-Hill in New York heard about the story, saw the video on YouTube, and came to me and said, would, would you write a book about what you learned? And it was really, that, that was one of the interesting parts of it as well, was when I really started breaking it down, the seven tenets were the seven major lessons that I learned and how much I, I learned about the customer experience simply from a, a, a cab ride. Amazing.
2: Scott, when I first heard you speak at the PPAI Expo, this story yeah. resonated really well because many times we have speakers come into the industry or authors come into the industry And they fail to recognize that we're full of very small businesses without giant resources. And so Hmm. the Taxi Terry story should really resonate with every distributor, whether they work individually or are part of a large firm. We have a very similar problem, I think, as Taxi Terry. And I wonder if you can kind of help relate it to our industry. In our industry, everything we all pay, we differentiate on is service. Hmm. And we're a lot of small distributors, generally speaking, who claim we have the best service. How can a distributor of promotional products
1: become a taxi carry and be distinct? Well, Dale, a great question. I, and as a user in my small business of promotional products myself, just speaking as a customer here, when someone says they have great service, that's like saying we have a telephone. Mm. <laughs> you know? I mean, we're to the point that we expect great service, but also saying that is so generic it means nothing anymore. Because as a customer, everybody has great service in your industry. I shouldn't say everybody, but everybody that we would consider doing business with. How do you survive in, in a competitive industry like promotional products without it? That's the baseline anymore. What I'm looking for as a customer is, tell me how your service is great. Tell me what that means. We have great service because we'll respond to your email within 10 minutes or we have great service because all you need to do is tweet and we'll be right back in touch with you, or we have great service because we'll know your need for products better than anyone else. So all of that is absolutely critical. Put some meat on the bones and let me know, you know, what, what does that mean? Don't just say great service and find a powerful way to express it. Mm. You know, Federal Express said absolutely positively overnight when they were founded. They didn't say we'll drop it off by 10.30. You know, the the outcome was still the same, but how you frame it and how you say it is critically important to making that connection with the customer. So one of the things that, that I discovered in the research from a previous book, Create Distinction, is that the perception I think we have in small business, I know I had it, many of the folks that I talked to have the same thing, is that we think to be considered creative or innovative, we have to blow the business up and do it completely different than our competition, and nothing could be further from the truth. All you have to do is one thing uniquely, differently Mm. from your competition. When you really think about the Taxi Terry story, what he delivered was the same as every other cab driver that I witnessed that night. They picked him up at the airport. They dropped the passenger off at the destination. But it's how you do it that makes all the difference in the world. You know, Enterprise Rental Car became successful not because they rented a car that was different than Hertz. The Ford is the same. Mm. It's that they brought the car to you. You know, Less Schwab tires in the Pacific Northwest, You know, it's the same Michelins, but the difference is they run out the door and welcome you and get down on their hands and knees and write down your tire size and become your tire concierge where everybody else in the tire industry, I've got to walk in and wait and you know, hope to find somebody to help me. So it's finding just one simple thing. Now, I know that sounds a lot easier than it really is to execute, but it's not about blowing everything up. It's about what could your firm do what could your company do that would grab me because there's just one thing unique and different Mm. about it? And that's critically important for success for small business today. I
0: think what's so interesting about the parallels between the taxi industry and the promotion products industry, if you think about your story, Scott, here you are, you're looking to hail a cab, your expectations about what you're going to get I would say are are fairly low, right? Like most cabs, they, you know, I'm making a general comment here, but we're going to make a general comment because I think that's what a lot of customers do. They attach worldviews to things that the cab is going to smell, that the proprietor or the driver is going to say that his or her credit card machine is not working. They're going to take you on a joyride. And so your expectations are already low. So he's already got a pretty low bar to jump over in order to really knock your socks off. And what's interesting about the promotional products industry is that there's a lot of, we call them end users or customers or people who are the the recipients of promotional products. There's a lot of negative opinions about this industry, trinkets and trash. I've heard people call it shrapnel before, tchotchkes, swag. And some people think that's a good term. Some people don't think it's a good term. But the general view out there is that the promotional products industry is somewhat dispensable and that the people who are in it are all the same and that you can get the same product on this website or from that guy or this guy. And what I find so exciting about being an operator in this space is that there's still a relatively low bar that you just need to jump over in order to have a real exponential difference in the mind of the customer. And I think that was one of the things I really took from your book. And I think what's a real opportunity for us in the promo space that doesn't require that much work in order to be exceptional. We're not, I mean, I try to think about like the high-tech business. Like think about if you were competing with Facebook and Google and and those types. Like the bar is very high with those people. They're exceptional businesses. (laughs) So,
1: yeah, No, you're right. And you're not going to out Facebook Facebook. And so what do you do? Well, it's not I'm going to try to do what Facebook is doing. I've got to do that in a twist. And so... That's what I challenge small businesses what what's the hook and again, it kind of gets back to the show business analogy, but you know what's the twist? What is the hook that's going to make me go ah so it's I feel solid about what you're going to provide, but yet I also feel like there's this little hook, this little twist that helps me in my business and and you're right, I mean you know as a small business owner myself, I don't want to give my clients inferior promotional products. I want something that makes them go. Oh, wow, that's cool. Whether it's something that's different or whether it's something that is is of a quality that it speaks of the quality of my organization. Yeah, I'm sitting here right now with an iPhone case with my corporate logo on it that we had done. And the funny thing is I booked a, a speech, a presentation from a seatmate on the plane that saw my iPhone and went, well, what is the Distinction Institute? You know, it starts a conversation. And and so, I mean, this thing's worth its weight in gold to me. Yeah, So I am such a believer in what you folks do. and But I also understand there's a lot of clutter in the marketplace, just like there is in, in my marketplace in speaking. And so it's finding that one particular thing. But I think we get so busy doing what we do, we don't take the time to think about what we do. Yeah. Which is why what you two are doing is so critical because it gives the listener kind of a recess to reassess. Mm. It's time to sit and to think from 30,000 feet. I mean, we get so busy in your industry filling orders, in my industry getting from one presentation to another, that sometimes we don't discipline ourselves enough to think, you know, to see the big picture and think, okay, if I strategically do this, this is going to help me stand out in the marketplace. One of the things I'm saying in my speeches now is I don't think Uber scares Taxi Terry. You know, He needs to be concerned about it. He needs to be aware about it because it's an industry change. But Uber is going to kill the non-differentiated cab driver. Yep. It's not going to kill Taxi Terry. And so that's why creating something distinctive is so critical in highly competitive marketplaces mm. like the ones that the listeners to this program are in. You know, I think that that comment
0: about Uber versus taxi, Terry, it's certainly something that we think a lot about in this industry. There's a number of excellent online players that are in the promotional products industry, some of whom be listening to this program. And there's a lot of concern with the offline players, the offline distributor that's nervous that technology is going to eat their lunch and that this company sells at a price that is completely ridiculous and that they can't match it and, and, and all that. And I think that what you just said about Taxi, Terry and Uber, I think there's a huge parallel between that and the promotional products business. And I've always said that the complacent order takers are going to be the ones that will not exist within the next couple of years, and it'll be the online players, and it'll be the highly differentiated, customer service-obsessed distributor that is going to take on the world in the next five to ten years. So that
1: that's just so my I theory. I couldn't agree with you more. I'm getting... You know, two emails a day from Alibaba on, you know, get your business card that's the USB stick, you know, and and other promotional products like that. And I've looked at their website. It is almost impossible for me to navigate. I I just don't want to spend – what I want is someone in a distinctive manner – who will understand my needs, get me a fair price. It doesn't have to be the cheapest. I don't expect it to be the cheapest because you've become my promotional products consultant. You've become my partner in promoting my business. I don't expect it to be the cheapest. I expect to pay a fair price. Don't get me wrong. How do I make my business work if I don't, right? But it's just incredible to me how many are willing to wave the white flag. And the reason is because if I can't tell a difference, I mean, that that's where distinction is so critical. If I can't tell a difference between ordering from you and ordering online from China, why wouldn't I go with the cheapest alternative? Yeah. So creating that difference is the difference for your business. Creating that difference is what will make your business distinctive. And, and I, I understand how critically challenging it is to do that. But another point real quickly, you mentioned about you know customer expectations. Part of the surprise that I found in the research is that customers don't say, wow, that was great service for promotional products. They just go, wow, that's great service. Mm. And I think what happens in any industry, particularly when we're dealing with you know with smaller businesses like ours, is that you benchmark yourself against your immediate competition. And the critical challenge with that is that's not what customers are doing. They're not saying, oh, you're better than the other guy. They're comparing you to
2: Marriott.
1: Mm. You know, they're comparing you to where they bought their car. So if the BMW dealership can return my call immediately and you can't, I don't get it. Now. That may not be fair because the BMW dealership may have eight people working the phones, but that's the comparison that customers are making. And so don't benchmark yourself merely against your promotional products competition. Benchmark yourself against any place that a customer can receive an ultimate customer experience.
2: God, I think that's a, a really excellent point, and I just loved your story as well earlier about the wallet card and how that kind of helped you create a new client. So I'm going to kind of flip the conversation for a minute on the other side and say, all right, you have that product on your own phone, but you've also received products. And I think there's a story about a great experience you had at the Taj Hotel and how a promotional product there was used. But it wasn't the promotional product that necessarily made that such a memorable experience, but it was a part of it. Can you talk a little bit about that and how the oh, promotional yeah, product played
1: I, a part? Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I was in India for the first time giving a speech. It's, it's sitting here right in front of me. Wow. And, uh, it, again, talk about an incredible experience. The Taj Hotel in New Delhi was where I stayed for three nights, and then I was gone for two nights, then back for one night. And when I came back for that last night, the bellman, you know, the guy that, don't know, he wasn't the bellman, but he's the guy that opens up your door when you first pull in and, and all that, and, and he, he remembered my name, which I was just blown away by, and he was so... He couldn't believe how amazed I was. He just viewed that as part of his job, that you were a guest, and you'd never have a guest if you didn't know their name. And I mean, it was just incredible. Anyway, so I go in, and they have a package for me. And I'm like, wow. And I open it up, and it was a miniature Taj Mahal. And it's, it's right here. Now, you know, that thing means the world to me because it's, it is a symbol of extraordinary service and the fact that they cared about me. How much did it cost them? I don't know. I don't care, really. I mean, I'm certain it was not an extraordinary investment. You know what I mean? But that's what I love about promotional products. For example, one of the ways that I could see people in your business helping me as a customer Mm. is don't just give me the product. Help me understand how I deliver that to Mm. my customer so that it's not just a, a Taj Mahal replica maybe I could have picked up at a souvenir stand outside the Taj Mahal, but through how it's gifted, through how it's presented, it becomes a symbol of something infinitely more significant and infinitely more meaningful. That's how it goes from being a $9 Taj Mahal replica to being a symbol of the ultimate customer experience.
0: Well, it's interesting you say that, Scott. I think that if you see within this industry, and I'm sure that you've had exposure to this with the industries that you've had experience with, that it's always the most successful salesperson is that person who is able to go in and move up the food chain within the client organization and really understand how it is that they get business and how it is that they interact with their customer. And as you say, it's not going to say, well, we could do this piece versus this piece. It's tell me how you acquire your customers, even understanding the lifetime value of that customer. So when I read your book, I'm thinking, okay, if Scott is going to return to India several times in his life and his speaking career, and he stays at the Taj 10 times, let's say in the next 20 years or so, then the lifetime value of Scott McCain as a Taj customer is enormous. And think about that relative to this inexpensive item that I presented to you that has now nurtured that relationship and solidified your business. As soon as the salesperson is talking in those terms, they're no longer a trinket salesperson. They're, they're someone who's adding meaningful, defined value. That's what I took from your book.
1: Well, thank you. I, I love the term lifetime customer that you use there You know, because in work I've done in other industries... You know, for example, we do quite a bit of work with BMW, and one of the things that interests me is if I go in to buy the one series, we're looking at a $23,000 transaction. Now, there's one part of the salesman that thinks, you know, I'm better off selling a $120,000 seven series than wasting my time with somebody with this $20,000 transaction. Yet what they see is the lifetime value of that young customer, hmm. Right. If I can get them from a one, then maybe their next car will be a three. Then they get married and have a couple of kids. So now they're in a five. And then if their business does well, that you know, and so it's almost like they're educated to help them see on the forehead, two hundred thousand dollars as a lifetime value, as opposed to twenty thousand dollars with this transaction. Therefore, you're thinking, do you create an experience for a two hundred thousand dollar customer? Of course you do. Mm. You know, the twenty thousand and that the industry's a transaction. So. It's the perception, it's the mindset that we bring into it that makes all the difference in the world. And I, I think you're exactly right. I mean, it's having that long view, having that lifetime value view that can make such a critically important difference uh, in how we treat our customers and critically how our customers feel that we feel about them.
2: Yeah.
0: I've got a question here about B2B companies, and I'm fascinated, Scott, to know which one, two, maybe three b2b companies you feel offer ultimate customer experiences and what is it that they do that's so special
1: the one that just jumped in my head when you said that is one of our great clients cisco cisco the, the technology we also work with cisco the food company and they do a great job but I, the one i was talking to was cisco the technology company let me give you an example i was on the phone right after the first of the year with one of their people that, that heard a presentation that i did with him and he was relating that, you know one of the things i was talking about was care about your client. Harvard says the, the fundamental change in B2B is becomes more like B2C. It, it's creating these experiences. Mm. And so he went to the client and said, you know, one of the things we've never really talked about is your love of sailing. Mm. And this this client started, you know, he said, I just saw his eyes light up. And now all of a sudden we weren't talking about routers, mm. you know, for a company. Now we're talking about his love of sailing. And he said, you know, did you ever think about how our technology could help improve the information that you have about wind speed and you know the water and and all that. we never really thought about. It. So they they start working together and and they come up with ways that he can improve the technology on his boat. Believe it or not, the guy wins the Asian Sailing Championship. <laughs> the, you know the America's Cup of Asia, and guess who's getting a heck of a lot more business? Mm. <laughs> you know now, what happened? You know well. Some people say, well, of course he's getting more business. He helped him say, no, it's more than that. It's that. If I can prove to you that I care about you and I care about your business then it's only natural I'm going to want to do more business with you yeah I mean I can't begin to tell you how many times I've been in b2b situations and talking with people and they'll say you know why did you decide to go with X company instead of y for this b2b order and without fail they'll talk about you know, technological advantages or you know price comparisons or and even though it's not the cheapest value comparison. And then invariably they'll kind of look around and see if anybody's listening and then they'll whisper, and you know, I liked her a lot better than the people with the other firms. Mm. So even these B2B transactions are coming down to how are you engaging them? Do they like you? Do they trust you? Do they believe in you? And so Cisco is doing, for one, is doing a, a terrific job in connecting on that level so that they know your business you know, about as well as you know it.
2: On that point, because I think it's relevant, I don't to steal you away from maybe going further in the question, but you do a great job of engaging on social media and staying connected with essentially not your clients. How do you see social media playing a part of
1: creating distinction on a B2B basis? Great question. I, I think there's two ways that that happens. Number one is by putting information out there on social media, you begin to help establish your brand, what you stand for, what your beliefs are. And that helps attract people who, over a period of time, see that. Now, there has to be a degree of consistency. You know, I, I know that you post frequently, Dale. I, you, you know that I do as well. But then the other thing is the engagement. So there's two levels to me on which it works. One is the brand establishment where you put your thoughts out on social media as a way to for lack of a better term, promote or publicize your business just as you would in other forms of advertising. But then the great thing about social media is the engagement, and I think that's where most people miss the boat. If I'm at a dinner party and I see someone that I know who they are but don't really know them and I walk up and I introduce myself and they don't even extend their hand and they turn their back to me and walk away, I'm standing there going, what a jerk, mm-hmm. you know, what, what a moron, right? But on social media, if someone says something to me, and I don't respond, I've really committed the same transgression, Mm. and I see so many groups that don't engage, whether it's on Twitter or Yelp or whatever it might be, when even if you get a bad review, even if you get bad things said about you in another industry, but kind of along this line of thinking, I'll go on Yelp, and if I see a bad review from a restaurant and the manager doesn't respond, Mm. I take that bad review more seriously than if there's a bad review and the manager responds and offers to make it right, then then I kind of dismiss the bad review, to tell you the truth. Because if the manager is engaged on Yelp, my presumption is he or she is also going to be engaged in the restaurant. But the manager that ignores it, I'm figuring they're ignoring the problem, so that problem must exist. Excellent.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. Scott, one of my big regrets is that we're going to have to shut down the podcast because I know that you've (laughs) got to move on to another meeting. I think Dale and I could probably agree that we could be on here for another three hours with you.
1: Same here. You guys are great. I appreciate so much the opportunity to spend the time with you. I'm, I'm honored that you'd have me.
0: So, Scott, in closing, outside of deep thanks from, from Dale, myself, and the Promo Kitchen community, can you give listeners some information about how they might be able to contact you uh, if you want to indicate some of your social media properties and just how it is they might be able to learn more about some of the things that you do?
1: Oh, I appreciate it. Sure, everything is just Scott McCain, and it's com. So it's com on Twitter, just Scott McCain. If you'd like more information about you know, how to deliver the ultimate customer experience, and How to Stand Out in the Marketplace. We do have highly interactive, engaging programs on distinctioninstitute.com. And just go there, and you'll get all the information about how you can do that. Books are available, of course, on Amazon, as everything is. So I'd be honored to engage on social media or to provide any more information about how we might be a service.
0: And I'll conclude, and uh, to add to that plug, I had the opportunity to read The Seven Tenants of Taxi Terry book. It was a quick read, but a really powerful read. And I'm someone who loves to read a lot of business books, and this is certainly one that stood out. So if anyone who's listening to this wants to ping me and talk to me about the book as well, I'd be more than happy to do so. So, Scott, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure. The honor was all
1: ours. I hope we have another chance to do it. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Promo Kitchen Podcast. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcasting service. And remember, you can always get involved in the Promo Kitchen community
2: by visiting us on the web at promokitchen.org. See you next time.